3: Tune in on October 28th for a special episode about the new movie, Dr. Sleep. We interview the director, Mike Flanagan, on the episode and get details behind the new sequel to The Shining. Don't forget to see Dr. Sleep in theaters November 8th. Live from Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Letting you know I'll be in Nashville October 27th, screening my documentary, Hail Yourself, America, at the world-famous comedy club, Zanies. Go to zaniesnashvilletickets.slaffs.com. Dot com to get tickets now. That's zany's Nashville Tickets. I will also be at Politicon October 26th and 27th, promoting Hail Yourself America in the democracy room. See you all in Nashville. Hail yourselves. There's no place to
1: escape to. This is the last podcast. Oh. On the left. <laughs> right on your blade. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Ben, do you want to share with Henry the joke that you told me on the airplane last night that you said was the best joke you've ever written? Yes, because you know what we're doing? We're not doing Rector
3: dang near killed her because that is not empowering. So Rector dang near gave her a high level management job at a supermarket. (laughs) I quit the show.
0: <laughs> That's good. Uh, this is the top tier? This is That's what you got? This is your gold?
1: He said that was the best joke that he, after I did not laugh the first time, he tried it again and told me it was the best thing he so ever wrote. that was you experiencing peak Kissel last
0: night in party row on an airplane. First, yeah, maybe. And so now... Literally from now on it is downhill. <laughs> it.
2: Welcome to the last podcast on the left.
0: Christ.
3: Welcome to the last podcast on the left. I am Ben with Marcus Hi, ben. and Henry. We are in a hotel room in beautiful sunny Tampa, Florida. It's not sunny. No, and I don't even know if I told the truth at all with that last sentence. <laughs> but it is but we are in Tampa. We are in Tampa, baby.
0: <laughs> you know what I miss about With ghost hunting, and what Borley Rectory reminds me of is back when a picnic was still always thought of and involved, no matter what investigation was going on. Yep. I read Harry Price's The Most Haunted House in England mm-hmm. about the Borley Rectory, and the only real difference between that book... And what we read in the Borley Rectory Companion mm-hmm. was his long descriptions of the lunches he brought to each investigation. and because it, it starts with me like, we happened upon the Borley Rectory for our June visitation. And what I knew then is I brought the proper chamombea that old Lady Derrickson recommended to me because she said, oh, a little tipper will go a long way. And I made sure to hand each investigator a certain level of brandy, just in case they lose attention during the long evenings of observation.
3: Honestly, that sounds really exciting. (laughs) Everybody's
0: hammered. I believe it. (laughs) And smoking big old pipes.
3: I definitely believe that. All right, everyone, we are on part two of the Borley
1: Rectory. So when we last left Borley Rectory, the Reverend G.E. Smith and his wife had just contacted the Daily Mirror so they could get a little help concerning their possible ghost problem. In tonight's musical gals, we have uh, Spin Doctor. Ooh, I love them. And the man who answered the Daily Mirror's call was Harry Price, the honorary director of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, which was an organization that Price himself had founded.
0: Ah. Occult and paranormal studies are always, like, there's something about, it needs an entrepreneur. Yeah. It does. You always have to self-publish Self-make-your-own-groups. If you want your own group, if you really want to make a dent Mm. in fake science, you have to do it yourself.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain theme there when it comes to paranormal studies, and that theme is self. Like, no one else is around. Like, you have to have sex with yourself. Like, you have to start your own business by yourself. You
1: know? Now, Harry Price was among the first of the so-called psychical researchers, and like many paranormal investigators today, psychical research was not his full-time job. Hmm. When he wasn't hunting ghosts... Price worked as a traveling salesman for a paper manufacturer. So
0: he was Brain Wilson from The Office? <laughs> yeah, essentially.
3: <laughs> you want paper? How does that work? <laughs> you just go door to door and be like, you want some paper? But that's what's <laughs> so, what so fun job? about
0: The Office, Kissel. That's what's so fun and light about it. It's huh. a light character explanation. You got Jim and the other the other one with the breasts, and then Rain <laughs> Wilson, who's the autistic man with yeah. the gun. Everybody loves that stupid show. I think they were all just having sex with each other.
1: Yes. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that Price was a traveling salesman is part of what makes him great. As the author of the Borley Rectory Companion points out, many of those involved in psychical research back then, particularly Price's detractors, came from privileged backgrounds. Mm. Harry Price, on the other hand, got into the world of the paranormal by attending circus sideshows and seances, which were both just as popular in the U.K. as they were in the U.S. at the turn of the 19th century.
0: He's a working class man.
1: Yeah. yeah okay. I like he, that.
0: He liked the circuses. He mm-hmm. was super, super into because he was entranced by the life of the gypsy. And you have to be like, <laughs> I know, Harry. The word has changed now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't like all those guys, because that's the thing about, you know, of course, not necessarily studies in the paranormal, but definitely magical study, is that it was the playground of the rich.
0: Yeah, you need a disposable income to spend your life drawing pictures of the Kabbalah and reading big books. You have to be born on third base.
3: Yeah. A lot of disappointed fathers out there. And that's sort of a ghost in itself.
0: (laughs) Yes, the idea of what
1: you had the potential to be. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Price was almost 40 years old when he was able to join an official group, the Society for Psychical Research. And he began an actual career in parapsychology outside of just reading books. Yeah, he got himself right in the mix. Yeah, before this, Harry Price was just a nerd with a gigantic library.
0: Well, that was one of his big dreams, Hmm. which
1: Harry Price
0: has become... I really have a lot of affection for him Mm -hmm. because of his get up and go attitude. He's like the song Uptown Girl, where Uptown Girl, Mm -hmm. the girl, was the Society for Psychical Research, and he was Billy Joel, a (laughs) strong five foot four (laughs) mechanic who I guess had a a penis that was longer than it needed to be in order to get that Uptown Girl. Maybe. But a part of his (laughs) job, part of his goals in life was to have the world's largest collection of occult
1: writings. Okay. That's. Isn't that your dream as well, Henry? Yes. Okay. Well, once Harry got into the scene, he found pretty quickly that what he loved just as much as the paranormal was publicity. Uh. And some believe that Harry's love of the limelight was what made other parapsychologists hate him so much. Yeah. But that disrespect could also come from the fact that Harry was known to fudge a fact here or there to make for a better story.
0: This is where a flim-flam man comes in. Yeah. Flim Flim Man. Without a flim flam man, you can eat a bunch of black beans without some cumin in them. Sure, exactly.
3: I'll yeah. take the cumin every day.
0: I want some cumin. I want yeah. some Monterey Jack. Right? I want the. Yep. I want the pepper jack. Why That's what flim you? flam man is. I like
3: that. <laughs> so the flim flam man is the cheese on the beans.
0: This is the guy that is packaging this up. And yes, he did fudge a factor too. But if you watch yeah. oh, recently, there was a there's a really good web series that came out by a friend of the show, Greg Newkirk, that did. It was called Hellier. The, well, mm. the Newkirks. his husband. Yes. Was a wife team, the the Hellier is a real example of what a paranormal investigation is like. Yes, it technically is a little. I am going to use the term uneventful. Yeah, because paranormal, especially paranormal yeah. experiences, especially stuff like within a haunted house, as we'll as we'll go through in this episode, for the for the most part, I believe are personal. That is an opinion I have. I believe it is a it is a a, a connection between you and an entity that becomes sort of like a private conversation. And it's very difficult to get like photographic proof of that mm-hmm. and Harry Price knew in order to make the story, he had to like add to what was then a legitimate haunting but it ended up destroying everything you got
3: life. you gotta pep it up. I mean, look at James Harden with the Euro step. Yes, it's technically traveling, but now it's the most successful shot in basketball.
0: You just said a thing that Marcus and I have no fucking clue <laughs>
1: what you're talking about. Is that a dance move? It is kind of a dance <laughs> move. Is this the Fox tribe? Basically, he's talking, he's talking about basketball.
3: Basically, James Harden <laughs> takes a full step backwards, which is he travel in any other dimension. But because he makes every shot and it looks so good, then he can just do it. Mm-hmm. So he can do whatever he wants. It's a flim flam man.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's a flim okay, man.
3: Okay. He's, he's adding cheese on the beans in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Well,
1: in 1927, Price claimed to be in possession of the infamous prophecy box of Joanna Southcott. Ooh. Southcott was an 18th century prophetess who claimed that she was the woman of the apocalypse foretold in the book of Revelation. Her gimmick was that she had a magic box full of prophecies that should only be opened in times of great crisis, such as the end times, mm. and it should only be opened in the presence of the 24 bishops of the Church of England.
0: Oh, no, I got a whole hotel room of babes, and I'm out of tonic water for mixer. <laughs> Let's go to my box of prophecy and see you where the tonic <laughs> water might be. It's incredible. It's a minibar.
3: <laughs> oh, that's
0: great. <laughs> beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that would be a good prophecy box
1: Well in South Camp, She was not some lone nut By the time she died in 1814 She had about 100,000 followers Damn. And people were still singing her praises Well into the 1990s Damn but back in 1927, Harry Price claimed to have gotten a hold of Joanna Southcott's box. <laughs>
3: don't do that. <laughs> don't you write it like that? <laughs>
2: Marcus knew that. we were gonna laugh at that.
3: We're on. be mature. We're <laughs> be mature. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, he man. tried to get us. He tried to get us.
1: And Harry Price made a big deal about opening the box because he was all set to debunk the so-called prophetess. And sure enough. All he found inside was a lottery ticket and a horse pistol. That's going to that's... find Kissel's goodbye box. <laughs>
3: yeah, that is actually, that's a perfect prophecy box. What, what, was the, what was the lotto ticket? Was it a winner? It was a loser. It was oh, a loser. They got to get the pistol.
0: <laughs> oh, my fucking retirement plan. Mm-hmm.
1: The old Bud Dwyer. But then again, a lot of people doubted that Price had the actual box. He might have just said, I got a box. Many of Southcott's followers are like, nah, that's not the real box.
0: But hey, what is fact? But what you say is fact. I
3: actually <laughs> think that that's for some reason, I feel like that's a great thing to have in the prophecy box.
0: Again, a Irene, lotto ticket and a gun. That's perfect. Cause then you can save it for your, your son. Whatever. <laughs> you can save it for open up. Who knows what's in there?
1: But it was supposed to be instructions. It was supposed to be instructions for what to do during do the end times.
3: Do you any idea how many instructions are on a lotto ticket? <laughs> you have to you scratch it off, match certain things. You have to do arithmetic. you have any idea how many people have just not been able to figure out the lottery ticket That's... and they've won a million dollars and don't
1: know it? Well, Bryce continued his debunking spree after that. He took a trip to the Brocken Mountain in Germany and brought along a grimoire named the Ha. German black book yeah the Brocken Mountain was supposed to be a hot spot of paranormal activity it was uh, where a bunch of witches way back in the 1500s had done a whole bunch of rituals they got drowned for it the Liars wrote a great concept album about it all kinds of cool shit happened at Brocken Mountain. This is uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. And on that mount, Price performed a pagan ritual that was supposed to turn a young male goat into a human boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh.
0: Get a real one- nose for boys. <laughs> I guess so.
1: Tried it once, nothing happened. Uh, Tried it again the second night, uh-huh, nothing happened.
0: Uh, but you see, if you do place a small hat upon the goat, <laughs> it becomes, in fact. More fun than a boy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, why? But he could turn the goat into anything.
0: No, why, it could only. Why, the, it could only be a it boy. It could only be a boy. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and it was all just about, I guess. Uh, I guess if you only had daughters. Yeah, that way you, you want, could get
1: a boy, and you wouldn't have to try again. You were guaranteed a young boy from one lowly goat. The boy is still
3: eating all the grass in the front yard, everyone's <laughs> throwing all their milk cartons at him. I mean, it, it'll be a public embarrassment.
0: But It's better than a boy, because a goat you could put back into a cage at night. If you could put a boy in a cage at night, he fucking wakes up one time, figures how to pick the lock. And it kills you and your wife in your sleep. But also having a goat would be good new witch doctor show called Goat Flippers. Yeah. And it takes infertile couples so It's about taking goats and trying to make them into boys. And it never works.
3: No.
1: But then they get a goat. Yeah. That's cool. Then there was the case of the Talking Mongoose, in which a family claimed that they lived with a, quote, Extra, extra clever ghost weasel from New Delhi <laughs> named Jeff.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> aw, that's cute They just or, they it called it Jeff
1: or Geff, one of the two. They called their mongoose a ghost weasel. Well, it, no, the uh, mongoose is a weasel. Ah, yeah, that's is what a it? mongoose is. Yeah, is that a fact? That's real. A mongoose we- is a type of weasel. Is that true? It's like a ferrets, weasels, mongoose, mongooses, mongoose. They're all part of the same family. They're long rats.
3: I heard they're ghosts. <laughs> Whatever. They're just weird. But
0: that's so much fun to have a little goat. And because Harry Price shows up in his big hat and his big pipe, and he's like, "Show me this goose weasel." And there's like, he's right here. Wait till you meet Jeff. He's so excited to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, <laughs> ah, No formal introduction <laughs> <laughs> simply, Jeff, you must know the rules of engagement. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We'll say that again. <laughs> yes, I am surprised it is cloudy here in Tampa. <laughs> oh, Jeff is simply delightful. <laughs> and Jeff and I sat to a lovely, lovely lunch. I had a slice of Wisconsin brie Ooh. that we <laughs> some peppered ham and we Ooh. sat and had uh, multiple, multiple cigars and steaks and then eventually we got to me realizing he couldn't speak at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the case is now thought to be a case of talented Ventriloquism Oh Oh. (laughs) But none of the cases That Price covered Came close to matching The fame and interest Of Borley Rectory Now in Harry Price's day The main rift Between paranormal enthusiasts Was between the spiritualists And the psychical researchers the spiritualists believed that there were actual intelligences behind hauntings and that one could penetrate the veil of the afterlife through seances and Ouija boards to communicate with those intelligences.
0: And spiritualists had a hobby of then turning it into road shows mm-hmm. or even personal road shows where they would come and do private events. They would talk with people. And then eventually, you know, because how they lived a lot of times is that they would have patrons. They would basically go and work their way into the life of a rich person who would kind of pay for their everyday living. Or they were already rich and just spending their parents' money.
1: Okay, So So they were
0: kind of widely distrusted at some
1: point. I mean, technically, Rasputin was one of these guys. Yes.
0: Right?
1: (laughs) Well, psychical researchers, on the other hand, were more observers of what they believed was a legitimate scientific phenomenon that they just couldn't yet explain. And while Harry Price... Outwardly, labeled himself as a psychical researcher. Privately, he confessed to being a spiritualist. He wanted to
0: believe. He did. He wanted mm. to believe. He spent so long reading books about the occult. That's that's kind of where I, I, I'm starting. That's where my sympathy lies. I know that he's making shit up, and again, right. he ended up ruining this whole his whole legacy. But Harry Price re- read these books and 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 saw these the idea that there was a world past this world, and he right. wanted to he wanted to touch it. Yeah, so big and it, it didn't work
3: <laughs> no. like that. It
0: doesn't work like that. I guess Yeah, no,
3: sometimes people think it just the ends justify the means. So I guess he, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that you do kind of have to make it real by pretending it's real?
1: I don't think Fake so. Fake it till you make it? I don't think so because this is what happens with paranormal research again and again mm. and again. It's what happens with Bigfoot researchers. It's what happens with para- with ghost researchers. They fudge facts. They think that because they believe in it so bad that they f- Fake things to make people believe because they think if people believe, then we'll get the funding that we actually need uh, to prove all of this shit.
0: There's cash money involved. I see. And Harry Price. I feel like spe- specifically in this case with the Borley directory, what he discovered was that when he walked in this house... And it was full of all this ghost activity he was experiencing, and people for hundreds of years believed that they were experiencing in this house. And you just can't seem to capture it. You can't do the thing that you want to capture. And but also he, as we'll go, Harry Price trying to build this ornate plot of what's happening inside of all the ghost world of the Borley Rectory, which is also another level of fakery that the whole Hmm. story doesn't need.
1: Well, that's what plays into Harry Price's spiritualist beliefs. Because he was a spiritualist and because he believed that there was an intelligence behind these hauntings, he was a lot of times guilty of imposing a narrative on the hauntings that he studied, Borley Rectory being a particular Example,
3: Rector, <laughs> dang near gave her a nice
0: position at an Applebee's. Literally, it might be the worst joke you ever came up with besides the snooky joke that you did in a round Roundtable years ago. Uh, <laughs> yes, what's do you the remember difference that difference
3: between a, a a baby and a what's the difference between a, an alive baby and no, a dumpster? No, no, no.
0: <laughs> what's the
3: difference between a baby in a, a dumpster in Atlanta? And a baby in the, in
1: Snooky. And on an alive baby. I remember it, it was an what? alive baby
3: because you said. An no, alive. the punchline is the baby in the dumpster is alive. There's an
0: alive baby the, in an, the dumpster. <laughs>
1: so, there's <laughs> an alive baby in the dumpster. Is <laughs> yes. the punchline. That's <laughs> <Yes>, <laughs> the punchline. Yeah. Man, that was old. Yeah. Classic. Classic. <laughs> well, furthermore, it could also be said that Harry Price might have had a. Bit of a chip on his shoulder. I mean, after all, Price was a self-taught working man who wasn't able to get into the business until he was 40, while all of the other paranormal researchers were dandy fops with names like Lord Charles Hope and Eric Dingwall, oh. a.k.a. Dirty Ding. (laughs) What did he do again? They called him Dirty Ding because he worked at the British Museum and he specialized in ancient erotica. Yeah, dude. Oh,
0: my. Fucking Mesopotamian (laughs) fucking titties. And he loved them. And they're not even that sexy.
3: No, they're technically just big rocks (laughs) because they're all statues.
1: And the paranormal community then was no more harmonious and collaborative than it is now. And Price most likely wanted the big fish to show all of them that he had what it took to be taken seriously in the scene. I'm smart.
0: I'm <laughs> smart. I got passed over. <laughs> He's rolling up his sleeves. I can see that. I, I get the chip on the shoulder thing. I get it. I get yeah, it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: We all have a lot of chips on our shoulders.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, that's just... Kissel, those are actual chocolate chips were you in the hotel mini mm. bar again <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: henry
3: <laughs> no i did make my classic treat though which is I smashed up pretzels i smashed up chips i smashed up some uh m and m's put it in the ice bowl and then i took a and then i took a cup and i like i was in prison and
0: then i just ate that
1: so you make a snack powder yeah wow I don't store it, I eat
0: it. Oh my God, just the sounds your ghost would make. Just the. Oh no, I think the ghost Kissel has made his moose munch again. (laughs) No, it's very tasty, it's sweet and savory.
1: (laughs) Well, with Borley, Harry Price thought that he'd found his big fish because here was a site where legitimate hauntings had been taking place for nearly a hundred years and nobody seemed to want it. But Price. Hmm. Now, the reason why the Smiths had gotten a hold of the Daily Mirror was because the pair had just arrived in England from India, and they didn't know a goddamn soul in Suffolk who might be able to help. Now, did the Daily Mirror at the time have the same reputation that it does now? I don't know. I don't know if it was the tabloid that it is now. I think... Probably. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really seem like a devolution. I think papers like the Daily Mirror and the Daily Mail have always been kind of trashy. They're flying off the shelves for a reason. They're super fun to read, but they are trash. Of course.
0: Sometimes they're the only ones brave enough to tell a story. That's true. (laughs) Like about how many bats live inside of Monica Lewinsky's butt. Yeah. Who knows?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Mirror first tried contacting the Society for Psychical Research, but when the SPR turned them down, Price stepped in. Now, Mabel Smith, G.E. Smith's wife, claimed decades after their tenure at Borley that she never believed that the rectory was actually haunted Mm. and that the whole thing was just foolishness. And naturally, many of Price's detractors point towards Mrs. Smith's statements as more proof that the entirety of the Borley haunting was nothing more than a fraud perpetrated by Harry Price combined with overactive imaginations. However... Mabel Smith's supposed confession was directly contradicted by Ethel Bull, who said that Mrs. Smith would shriek with fright any time a paranormal encounter occurred within the grounds. (laughs) (laughs) Most likely, Mrs. Smith was just bitter that nobody wanted to buy her fictional account of the hauntings, which she called Murder at the Parsonage.
0: See... That's Everybody cool. wanted in. They yeah. all wanted yeah. into the story. So I could see how like this the
1: mu- the waters would get
0: muddied pretty fast in this time period. Yeah, It right. yeah. seems like a cool book. Was it just a bad, poorly written book? Or?
1: Probably. I mean, just nobody wanted to buy it. Just hmm. like every publisher that she sent it to was like, this is garbage. Okay. But
0: according to the book, The Most Haunted House in England, The Most Haunted Home in England by Harry Price, that when he does his interviews with the Bull family, I mean... They all saw shit. The entire family saw shit. And it just sees that with each family that subsequently lives in the house, the activity becomes a little bit more exaggerated and and it just Mm. keeps getting built. But the original people all saw this shit. And these guys, the the modern families are still seeing the original ghosts as well mixed with New added on. Each time that the, like, season four of Borley Rectory, when they add, like, the talking robot daughter, they just keep jumping the shark again and again with new characters.
1: I hear ya. Yeah, each time a new family moves in, it seems like the intelligent part of the haunting increased. Okay. You know, rather than it just being like, oh, look at the nun, oh, look at the coach. Like, after... The Bulls moved out with every subsequent family. It got more and more intense, or so they say. I mean, it could, right? It might. I don't know. Because when the Smiths moved in, the doors started locking and unlocking. When no one was around, the servant bells would ring, despite G.E. Smith cutting the wires. (gasps) And in one instance, a china vase apparently floated out of the blue room and dropped to the ground when no one but the Smiths were at home. And they were in the drawing room together.
0: Well, Harry Price believed that the house... Hmm. Uh, had way more activity when there was a family actually living inside of it. Mm-hmm. And I can see stuff like this because what we know about telekinesis is that it can possibly be a real scientific thing. Like it can be a thing that it, it is a it's about energies connected to the human mind. So you have this whole place kind of bang, 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 like energies Energy shooting around around. I'm saying shit. Yeah. Yep. But if it comes out of your if it gets enhanced by the antenna that is your brain, it can actually start manipulating the environment if it is indeed a science.
3: Indeed. And let me just do a little telekinesis now. Rise.
0: Oh my penis.
2: Rise. Oh, no, Kizzo, no. Rise. It's too big. It's too big. You're fully erect.
1: Well, the unfortunate thing about uh, telekinesis and why it cannot get any sort of scientific backing is that it cannot be duplicated in a lab. Yeah. It's been tried in a lab to be duplicated time and time again. I think it was also it's tried just on. And ne- they have never been able to come even close to there, duplicating
3: it. There was also a time when Donahue was obsessed yes. with getting people yeah. who <laughs> pretended to be magicians. Like So in- you
0: say, <laughs> you can move these bones... <laughs> Allow it. you do it here in front of the Ku Klux Klan.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was their Christmas episode.
1: But with the Smiths, the residual hauntings continued as well. I mean, besides just the whispers of don't Carlos, don't, the footsteps heard by the Bull family continued coming from empty rooms and dark shadowy figures were seen lurking about the house. In addition to, of course, the nun. And the Smiths were finding actual, concrete, creepy artifacts as well. In October of 1928, Mabel Smith found a human skull wrapped in a brown paper parcel in a cupboard on the ground floor of the library. Damn. Also called Marcus Parks' 40th birthday gift. I know.
0: Don't spot... Henry, I know. That was a surprise I'm that sorry. we were going to give him. I'm sorry. I shouldn't
2: have said it.
1: Man... Now, according to a painter who had worked for the bulls, the skull had been dug up from the garden and brought into the house. But every time the bulls had tried to rebury the skull, the attempt always resulted in poltergeist activity. So they just kept it inside.
0: Which is a very common occurrence in residual hauntings turned into intelligent or active hauntings or poltergeists, is that every single time you try to fuck, it seems to be with the actual surface of the ground it's on, like the actual land that it's built on activity just spikes. Uh, maybe this has got something to do with ley lines, which, again, I'm just saying. Could but be. We, we researched about ley lines for Borley Rectory, and apparently it's just, like,
1: next to one? It's just south of a ley line. But, of course, England is also fucking covered in ley lines, so everything is just south or just north or just east or just west of a ley line. Well, that's just how directions work. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes. But the, the idea yeah. is that
0: if it's not directly on one, it's not as spooky-ooky as saying that it's like... Well, it's at least a half a mile from our ley line. Right, right.
3: Well, Marcus, we talked about this on Side Stories. Did you know the land that John Wayne Gacy's house was on is now up for sale? There's a home on it. It's almost half a million dollars. So if you
1: want to buy it, it's your chance. Uh, I don't want to move to De Plain. Nah. Oh, no. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, because if I buy it, I got to live there. That is literally
0: what I said. That was my defense. i like, I don't think I want to move to the middle. <laughs> well,
1: this so-called screaming skull story was probably a fabrication. Because when this guy, when this painter came out and started talking about the skull, the screaming skull storyline was going on at a lot of different haunted houses around Around okay. england uh and no one else ever corroborated the story and the author of the borley companion speculates that the placing of the skull was probably a prank pulled by the locals it's pretty fun because
0: borley rectory had neighbors
1: yeah and they were
0: a lot of times because i guess back in the day it's like because you permanently live from generation to generation in one house or some shit it seems to be people were more likely like if you moved in the house next door to somebody who's been living there forever you you have like a social contract to be like friends of the people in the house cuz you come right. and offer them things and you could just see these guys just being like Ha <laughs> ha, they love to scream here. <laughs> oh, I have a good day. <laughs> have you seen the screaming skulls? No, no? <laughs> you will soon. <laughs> bye bye, I'm your new friend. I didn't know if it's scary to you. You got like me a haunted neighbor.
3: <laughs> I do think we need to talk to our neighbors more, though. Oh, yeah. Unless they start putting skulls in your house, and then you cannot <laughs> talk to them.
1: Drive from your grave. Bye from your grave. But this wasn't the only skull... Found at Borley Rectory. Back when the bulls lived in the rectory, a full human skull was in fact unearthed from the garden. Quite possibly the remnant of a plague pit just worked its way to the surface. But that skull was quickly reburied in the churchyard. Now, if it is true that some people like our man Henry Zebrowski here are indeed ghost repellent. Yeah. Then Ah. it follows that others are ghost magnets. And it seems like Harry Price was one of those people. Or so Harry claimed. See, Price's need for publicity was apparent right off the bat, because upon his first visit to Borley, a reporter from the Daily Mirror named Vernon Wall tagged along, although that might have been a tit-for-tat because the Mirror had twigged Price to the story. Okay. But either way, Price's first visit to Borley on June 12, 1929, turned the rectory upside down with paranormal activity. If what they say is true,
0: when they walked into these doors... The place blew up. It became, I keep using this comparison, but it's very, very similar. It became the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. They walked in, and it just fucking turned on.
1: Cool. Well, first, Price and Wall staked out the Nun's Walk at dusk. And while they did not see the nun, both men reportedly saw a shadowy figure gliding through the trees. And there's nothing a better pair when a shadowy figure in the trees than a wonderful melot. <laughs> mm, oh, <you're laughs> and with
0: just a bit of grape and just a bit of blue cheese. You have the tartness oh, of the grape mixed with, oh, the unctuousness of the blue cheese. <laughs> and, oh, the smooth, smooth back finish of the melot.
3: And you're the best Polish sommelier of all time. <laughs>
1: And while the shadowy figure might have just been a trick of the eye, two men seeing what they wanted to see, when the men returned to the house itself, a brick crashed through the veranda roof and showered Price and Wall with glass. Now, the first thought was that someone was surely screwing around here. So they ran into the house and found that nobody was there except them, as per their instructions. Then they heard another crash a glass candlestick that they had just seen on the mantelpiece had been flung down the stairs and had shattered on the iron stove on the first floor. Damn. After that, Price and Wall caught their breath and decided to settle things down a bit. Hoping to invite more phenomena, the two men turned out the lights and sat on the stairs in complete darkness. After sitting for a few moments, they heard an odd noise and something struck Wall's hand. (gasps) The object a mothball, had bounced down the stairs, seemingly out of thin air. The men then turned on the lights, and in full view, both men saw pebbles and a piece of slate also bounce down the stairs.
0: This is the thing that is common in haunted houses called apportation, Mm. which is the idea that things appear out of nowhere, and a lot of times they fall down from the ceiling so he is it's like poltergeist yeah. when the jewelry falls down like mm. that is basically that's based on if you do believe it to be true it is based on based on truth do you think they kissed in the dark? <laughs> no, they had sandwiches, oh. which is the truth. He, he <laughs> had a little tidbit in the, in the thing is, I'm sitting in the dark, and he's like, and there's no lonelier sound than the munching of a sandwich <laughs> deep inside the heart of one of the most haunted spaces in England. I love him,
1: man. Then the servant bell started ringing, and the keys from two doors on the ground floor popped out of their locks and fell to the floor. Now, of course... All of this is dependent on whether you believe Harry Price and a Daily Mirror reporter. No one else was there. No one else saw this.
0: But this is why they did it. But yeah. Harry Price could be one of those people That ghosts are whores for yeah. But I don't know if that is Essentially We don't know Because it doesn't happen that often But if Borley Rectory truly is that haunted mm-hmm. Where you show up And it's the first time That it gets to demonstrate itself For an intelligence Like let's say it is true. Like let's say, their haunted houses are vaguely like motion sensor based, where uh-huh. it's almost like you show up and just your energy activates the house.
3: I mean, I think the Daily Mirror is a very good paper, as you can recall. <sighs> Um, they had the story about the man who found one bean in his beans. And then they also had the story. the <laughs> 9-11. On 9-11. And they, they didn't talk about 9-11, though. No. Um, but they did talk about the one bean, and the other guy found one chip in his bag of crisps. Ah. So they, that, and those t- stories were real. Yeah. So you tell me that's not good journalism.
2: <laughs> you
0: tell me
3: that's not good journalism.
1: But at any rate, after the pebbles came bouncing down, Harry figured, fuck it. Let's do a seance right
0: here, right now. Oh. We're doing it fucking live. We're doing it live. Oh. The family was like staying over at the house across the street. Okay. So they're watching them like flashlights turn on. And them going, oh, god, across the street. And then <laughs> running to the, run inside the house. And they're like, phantom lights inside the house. And you're like, oh, oh, this sandwiches. Okay. Oh, oh, I've spilled wine. No, not the wine. No, no the ghost student. No, I did it, clumsy. No, come here, you sexy reporter. Ooh, wow. And they're watching all from the side of the street. And so then he pops out, and he's just like, "We're doing it now. Everyone come inside. We're speaking to the spirits." And everyone's just like, "Oh!" Like getting up, ready wow. to run across the street.
1: <laughs> now, as we said last episode, the blue room where this séance was held was the bedroom where both Henry and Harry Bull had chosen to die. Mm. And this wasn't the only so-called blue room in the UK. In a blue room in Aberglasney House in Carmarthenshire, it said... <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Fucking making shit up. It's, for, it's Welsh. The, it's in Wales. Wales. It all sounds made up. Mm. Wonderful cakes, though. Love the Welsh yes. cakes. <laughs>
3: and all language is indeed
0: just made up. <laughs> it's true. You um, know what's not made up, though? Oh, oh. oh. That's the first natural language, really. (laughs) Rise, rise! Stop it! it. I'm gonna go. It's preaps. Is that what
1: what the term is? What is when Uh, you're a preapism? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you can't stop being hard. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, in Carmarthenshire, it's said that six maidservants were found dead in their beds. And at Craigver Castle in Aberdeenshire, <laughs> the blue room is supposedly haunted by dark figures. Ooh. So, needless to say, blue rooms had a bit of a reputation. So, Harry Price chose this blue room for his seance. Sitting at this seance was Price, Verdon Wall... Price's secretary Lucy K. The Smiths, and it featured special guest stars Ethel and Adelaide Bull and nice. the Saturday Night Live band. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I,
0: with Harry Price, our blue rooms. No. Is it called a blue room afterwards because it becomes a center of ghost activity in one of these houses? It just so happens
1: that the room is blue.
0: Is that true? Yeah. Is it because there is that a color for bedrooms? I'm asking you history questions that we have not prepped for at all, so I don't know.
1: I don't know fucking interior design history. It is the color
0: for bedrooms, (laughs) though. Blue is a very nice,
1: warming color. Yeah, blue feels good. Yes, it does. Now, this séance was not your traditional early 20th century affair. Usually, séances were serious business led by an experienced medium. Mm -hmm. But in the case of the Blue Room séance, whole thing had the atmosphere of an impromptu, if uneasy, get-together. It was pretty much the end of Beetlejuice. So much fun. Very cool. Well, because
0: for me, that's what almost gives it a little bit of credit. Because normally at this time, if you're going to go to a séance... You would go to like a set location as well. Like yeah. there's there are things like that where you'd go to somebody's house mm-hmm. and you'd do a seance at their house. So it can be totally outfitted for trickery. Like you could do it all the time. You could set it up. But because Harry Price is doing it Zach Bagan style, like doing the come at me gun. Like <laughs> right. in a right. seance room, like like just impromptu. It, to me, it's like for him to set it up. It would have required a a lot more pre pro that I don't know if he had. No. I mean who knows. Okay, cool.
1: So once everything was ready, Price made a request for any entities in the house to make themselves known. Come at me ghost. No response came on the first two requests, but on the third everyone heard a series of sharp taps coming from the back of the Smiths' dressing table mirror. So, once they had their mediumistic object chosen, the group continued with the traditional method of using three taps for yes, one for no, and two for doubtful.
0: It seems like it's really complicated. It's super
1: complicated, yeah. Surprisingly, though, once the interrogation began the entity revealed itself to be none other than the Reverend Harry Bull, dead some two years. Whoa! Now, since his sisters Ethel and Adelaide were present, they were able to ask questions only Harry would know, and they were soon satisfied that they were speaking with the ghost of their brother. Dearest Harry, dearest Harry, do you
0: remember the time... You looked down my knickers when we were at Lake Bogdan in 1839? Tap, tap, tap. You did look in my knickers!
1: (laughs) But this was no happy reunion. The ghost of Harry Bull soon explained that he had not died of natural causes. Oh, my God. But had, in fact, been murdered by his wife. Murdered. The widow, Ivy
0: Brackenberry. Oh, Ivy Brackenberry sounds like one of those things that old Dirty Ding was collected, like a star (laughs) of one of those tablets. (laughs) Indeed. This is going to be
1: tough to hold up in court, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, No. Okay.
0: (laughs) It's technically... Probably fake.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) However, it must be said that the Bull Sisters had a bit of a nut against Ivy, (gasps) because Ivy was about 20 years younger than Harry, and they'd always considered her nothing better than a gold digger. I don't understand why people get mad at the gold diggers. Just, like,
0: be happy for the old man. Absolutely. I don't think they like her. Her. I know that. And I get um, that. But usually also, gold diggers are highly unpleasant to be around. I no, know, they're, they're bad, bad people. people. Take the money. Take the money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the guy with Anna Nicole Smith that I mention
3: all the time. <laughs> yeah.
0: he had a great he,
3: final year. The
0: last six months of his life, yes. he had nothing but a smile etched across his crooked skull. He, he was
3: thrilled. <laughs> and then his kids were like, well, we didn't get the money. You don't deserve the money because you're not Anna Nicole Smith. And did you blow your dad? Did you suck your <laughs> father's yeah. dick? Is that what you did? Yeah. Did you
0: have 34 double Ds? that you smash into his face every night and he just went? Like, are you my daughter? Uh, no, because you are his daughter and you weren't there for him. So <laughs> you don't get the money.
1: Sorry. Uh, it had also been the Bull Sisters' contention for those past two years that their brother had been poisoned by Ivy just before Harry could revise his will. Oh. And Harry was supposedly going to give Ivy a lot less money. The evidence for this, they said, was a half-empty bottle of lead acetate found in the Borley cellars soon after Harry's sudden and mysterious death. Hmm. So, the Bull sisters might have had an agenda in directing the taps.
0: You know, I think that there's... (laughs) there's like a part of me that wants to say that like what if all of this is mysteriously real it's like the most complicated version of the entire thing is real and all of the Anakian universe is all true and Mm -hmm. all that kind of bullshit and it's not Harry Bull it's not any of the stuff it's literally like Azazel of the 13th chamber just going like These bitches are like, they have a problem with this young woman. I think she's hot. I mean, I stole her soul, and I have it here in a crystal globe. Let's give it three taps
1: just to see what they do. (laughs) That could be kind of fun. But whether the Bull Sisters were just confirming a long-held suspicion for themselves or not, talk of a murder happening in the very room where the Smiths slept was starting to freak out Mabel. So she ended the whole thing at about four in the morning. Now, even though Smith himself made sure to point out in his eventual book about Borley that he didn't take the murder accusations very seriously, interesting phenomena outside of the supposed communication did indeed occur. According to everyone present, a bar of soap had fallen off the washboard at the opposite end of the room from the dressing table about an hour in, and the soap bounced right across the room. I mean,
0: inherently, soap is slippery.
1: It is slippery, but it gets stuck. It doesn't bounce. That's right. But one clever historian thought that... Yeah, we got it.
0: (laughs) We nailed that. (laughs) We nailed it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But one clever historian thought that he may have found the answer to where the tapping actually came from. See, the group kept turning the oil lamp in the room on and off during the seance. As a consequence, if the lamp was on the dressing table, the heat from the flame could have caused the wood to expand and contract, which would most likely be the source of the tapping noise the group heard. He's starting to sound like the White House press secretary.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He's just being like, um, sometimes words mean opposite of the words that you're saying. Sometimes your feet are doing the thinking and your brain's doing the walking. And you're like, what? (laughs) What are you saying?
1: We have no idea where in the room the lamp actually was. And when a couple of fancy-pants London mediums tried their luck in the same room under the same circumstances two days later, they heard nothing at all. They didn't do it right. Might not. Okay. So, after nine months at the Borley Rectory, the Smiths figured they'd had enough and moved out. Although their main complaint was not that the house was haunted but that the house didn't have running water, and they were still using chamber pots like it was 1864.
0: Ooh, pooping in the pots. It was gross. Yeah. It was drafty and terrible and cold, and the walls were slimy. It was not a place to live. They keep trying to pull people in there. And these these wonderful young brides that keep arriving in their new homes that they've been convinced to follow their husbands into, right. and then they've just been like, this is disgusting, and then I also have this like weird patriarchal thing where I'm supposed to clean all of this shit. No like, way! I'm the one who's out here scrubbing all of this oh, bog no, 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 slime.
1: No. All of these women had uh, maids. God, ah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's better. Anyway, this was definitely this was the sort of place where they had maids, they had gardeners, they had cooks. But why uh, did they have plumbing? Th- it was just hard to put plumbing into an old house like that. You got to well, rebuild the whole GD thing. Yeah, I guess so. But about six months after the Smiths left, they would be replaced with the family for whom the phenomena was at its strongest. Although, it must be said that this is also the period where the phenomena is said to be at its most dubious. Ooh. In October of 1930, the Reverend Lionel Algernon Foister, his wife Marianne, and their 2-year-old daughter Adelaide moved into Borley Rectory and entered a 5-year period of misery, although it's up for debate as to what the actual cause of said misery was. See, like the Bulls, it was quite the large age gap between Lionel and Marianne, and the much younger Marianne was none too happy about moving into a cold, dilapidated house in the Essex countryside that vaguely smelled like piss and shit. From all the chamber pots. Oh, my. That's what you're looking for, though, out there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's they, technically uh, a, a sign of, we finally made it to the countryside. <laughs> I mean, did
3: they just, like, they're like, we need to move. And, like, I heard there's a house. Did they not research
0: this house? This How- is a long story. The, the, this is one of those, we have to do a little bit of a, a, tiny bit of a truncation. But They try to get people in there for a long time. And these, it just fell to the Reverend Lionel Algernon Foyster who decided to become the new rector at the place cuz for it's it's you know it's one of those
3: rector yeah. Dang, near gave her free swimming lessons. I swear to God,
0: I, I, I just, I, I'm going to start a sports podcast just to torture you. I'm going to start one on my own and call yes. it Balls in the Air.
1: Now, it took a few months for the phenomenon to come back, but once it did, it came back big. Ooh. The foisters experienced everything the Smiths had been through, but like we said, the Annie got upped a little bit. And with the foisters, things supposedly got physical. The toddler was locked in a room when no key was present, and Marianne was supposedly thrown from her bed several times in classic poltergeist fashion before a ghost punched her in the face. Punched her in
0: the face. <laughs> that is really annoying. But or so that, she says. The, I, this is the part of it where it gets, like, it gets really tenuous because it's very difficult to get punched in the face by a yeah. ghost. And she did have a, like, a black eye. They all were like, we think she could have just cracked herself on the fucking side of the head. Marianne, we're going to find out, is a little unstable.
1: Okay. The foisters even experienced spontaneous combustions and smells they couldn't explain, which is the part of hauntings that I'm sensitive to. I can smell through time. That's what... Who, who told you that? What is happening? <laughs> He's been talking a lot, the mirror. Okay. Uh, no, it's
0: true. Ghosts, commonly, they do smell like... The, in this case, it was a lavender smell. Ooh. It smelled very floral. But they do sometimes smell like farts. Yeah, well, it's better that it's lavender.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Lionel Forster detailed all these experiences in newsletters that he regularly sent out to the rest of his family. Dear, during- I mean, that's just a letter. Yeah, no, newsletters, People because it's do- news about the family.
0: People used to do that more often. Yeah. I remember I had an aunt that used to do it, and it was all being like, and you know our daughter Angelina, she's taken to the pole. And you're like, <laughs> I wish that you'd stop like phrasing it like that.
1: Good for her. So after about a year of this, Ethel Bull suggested to the Foysters that they should call up Harry Price to see if Harry Price could help. In October... And in October of 1931, Price returned with two members of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research.
0: Which is, um, I mean, uh, uh, these are his employees. Yeah. It's his secretary and his sec- and his buddy. Yeah. That came with him. But he did have witnesses. But it'd be so much fun to travel everywhere with a secretary. Oh, oh, I
3: man. guess. Not if you're the secretary.
1: No. She's getting paid. She, it's fun. She had fun. Yeah. It's, it's kind of flirty. She recorded everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If okay. you're going to be a secretary, being a secretary to a paranormal researcher is about the best gig you can get. That's, That's
3: awesome. true. Annie Potts.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
3: Remember that? Ghostbusters. Yeah. And she yeah. Had a great time. She, she had cool.
1: sex with Rick Moranis.
3: Hell yeah. <laughs> what a great time. <laughs> <laughs> what a great time.
1: Now, during Harry's first visit during the Foister tenancy, he again experienced phenomena, but this time it seemed to have a different flavor. See, the Bull family had been big wine drinkers, and the cellar was still littered with empty bottles. They're
0: the kind of people, if they go to any sort of, like,
1: where old people go to
0: vacation, they immediately buy the shirts that say, like, may contain wine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so, when Harry Price came, a wine bottle came flying down the main staircase, and it shattered on the hall floor. But this wasn't like before, when Harry was sure no one was upstairs. This time... He knew Marianne was up there. Almost immediately, Price suspected Marianne of being the source of this apparent phenomena. And on the next visit, another incident occurred, which remains one of the most controversial in the history of Borley. Well, on the second visit that Price and his two colleagues made, they sat down for a meal with the Foisters, and the NLPR had brought along a couple of bottles of wine. See? But once the meal was prepared... Mary Ann went to the kitchen to bring in the bottles.
0: I gotta get some more bottles. So don't everyone. <laughs> no running about me. <laughs> I'm not the ghost. Uh, or am I? <laughs> oh man. Less wine with an H and more wine without an H.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun dinner. This is fun.
1: And to everyone's great surprise, when Price opened the first bottle and handed it to Mary Ann, they found that the wine had turned to pure jet black ink. What? And when they opened the second bottle, they found that someone had fouled that one up by mixing in cologne. Oh my god. It's in
0: the disappointment at Harry Price's voice of he's been like, I wanted to see the plum of a Sauvignon Mew! I wanted to see the current flavor of a Pinot Noir. But what did I get? Nothing but the inky blackness of inky ink! <laughs>
1: That is horrible to do to this man. (laughs) But this is not the only instance of something like this happening. Although it never happened unless Harry Price was around. And some point... To this as proof that Harry was responsible for the inky wine. He'd
0: never ruin wine. It doesn't seem like he would ruin never wine. He's Ina Garten. He, yeah. he, all he did is talking about pairings and all the little lunches he put together. The old school way with <laughs> just like a little bit of dust. You have a bit of olive. And you have a bit of bread.
1: He would never sully wine.
3: It doesn't sound like it.
1: <laughs> See, back when the Smiths still lived at the house, Harry was again over for dinner along with a friend of the Smiths. Then, in the middle of the meal, the friend remarked that all this paranormal hubbub could be the work of one clever man. And soon after she said that, the wine in her glass turned into ink. And some think that this was a complicated conjurer's trick done by Harry Price.
0: But why would he do it the moment that they all accused him of being the one doing the trick?
1: <laughs> I don't think you would ruin wine. Well, admittedly, Harry Price was indeed an expert conjurer and a member in good standing of a famous illusionist club called the Magic Circle.
0: We sometimes like to call ourselves the Virgin Cafe. <laughs> yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> but on the other hand, this tale about wine into ink also comes from... From Mabel Smith, who changed her story so many times over the years that it's exceedingly hard to tell what's fact and what's fiction. Plus, just because Price was a magician doesn't mean you can't trust him. And that's what a lot of people seem to be implying. Interesting.
3: Magicians Un- are actually very trustworthy because they let you know when
0: they're... Well, never mind. Nobody. <laughs> no. Never let your girlfriend or your wife alone in the same room as David Blaine. <laughs> because no. he will... He will mesmerize her. You'll end up inside of her. Yeah, he'll just be like, Yeah, literally he's just, like you her. just see the heels of his shoes outside yeah. of her vagina. How do you do it though? <laughs> magic. That's magic. I think it's contortion. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can't trust a magician. They'll steal your wallet, they'll steal your whole life. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, that's true. But regardless of Price's involvement in the Ink incident, Price still told the Reverend Foister that he believed that the source of much, but not all of the phenomena was most likely his bored wife, Marianne. And Price did tell him this somewhat indelicately.
0: Yeah, you think it's me? You think I'm the <laughs> one doing this trickery? Well, how are you? No, I've never seen a not ghost in my life. All of you are ghosts to me.
3: <sighs>
0: Why are a, you screaming?
3: It's okay,
1: Mary. <laughs> And so the reverend threw Price out of the rectory for even suggesting such a thing. And the investigator wouldn't be allowed back into the rectory for years to come. Meanwhile, the foisters were trying all the old standbys to get rid of a poltergeist. Two reverends and a bishop came and performed a cursory exorcism on the house, but nothing changed.
3: My God, not even three pedophiles (laughs) could find (laughs) these
1: ghosts. Foister then tried fumigating the house with burning creosote, which, that's pretty much just tar. Okay. He just burned pine tar in the house. <laughs> right. And that worked for a bit, but once the smoke cleared, the phenomenon always seemed to return. And the Foisters had their fair share of apparitions as well. And it must be noted that they were not the only people during this period to see these particular apparitions.
0: Last night, I saw the scariest vision I've ever seen. It was a... I think it was a shaking... Woman, all in white, smoking a very thin cigarette. Yeah, that was me, bitch. <laughs> I brought my slims with me. And I'm out here just enjoying my life, living my life. How dare you bring drama? You're the one bringing drama out of my life, because that's me. My whole thing is, I hate drama, except for my bitch friend, Susan. I'll yeah. fucking kill her. i kill her with my car if I saw her. But at the same time, I love her. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know you do, Marianne. I know
1: it. But their apparition was not the Phantom nun. Instead, they were haunted by the ghost of the Reverend Harry Bull. On multiple occasions, Marianne said that she saw the rector standing on the main staircase dressed in what was said to be his favorite plum-colored dressing gown. We need more sleeping dresses. Yeah, that's true. I've gotten really into sleeping pants. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. How are you
3: into them, would you say?
1: (laughs) Well, because I've been sleeping naked for like a decade, Mm -hmm. and I've been having real bad nightmares lately, and I found recently that if I sleep with pants on, Hmm. I don't have nightmares as bad. That is very interesting. Do you think that the cloth comforting your penis like allows the rest of your body to calm down? Yeah, because if my penis isn't out and exposed, my body isn't on high alert. Mm -hmm. Because I'm always thinking right before I go to sleep, the last thing I always think is what's the best way if someone breaks in to get out of bed, put on pants, and then get the knife and stab them? This is great. You (laughs) you cut out the middleman.
0: I don't know. I always wear my panties. (laughs) I get a pair (laughs) of Natalie's panties and I just stretch them over me and I wear full boots. Really? Yep, so I can scare the whoever comes in to rob my home <laughs> yeah. as I come out with little panties on with my dick balls hanging out on the side of it in big combat boots. And either, yeah. you know, that's the best thing he's ever seen. He's excited to join my family or he'll leave. Yeah, I think <laughs> he might do the latter.
2: Live from your grave.
3: Live from your grave. But
1: before you say this, this is just Marianne making shit up, other townies reported seeing the same apparition through the windows of the house when it was empty, talking about the reverend in his plum-colored dressing gown. Ooh. And on one occasion in particular, an acquaintance came calling on the reverend Foyster when he was out of the house. And when Ann told the caller that the reverend wasn't home, the woman said, quote, You must be mistaken. I saw him in an upstairs room. Wearing a dressing gown. Whoa. And there were others during this time who witnessed intelligent phenomena. A man named Edwin Whitehouse was a frequent visitor, and he said he saw objects move of their own accord, he saw mysterious spires, and he heard the bells ringing. Whoa. In fact, it was Edwin Whitehouse who finally convinced Harry Price that he should return to Borley Rectory to continue his studies, despite Price's misgivings about Marianne Forster. But while Price was still gone, an all-new phenomenon had begun that seemed to defy explanation. Marianne Foyster had begun to seemingly receive written messages from the other side. See, Marianne
0: Foyster Mm. was so not into drama. That she definitely didn't write notes to herself. <laughs> like creating almost into the the I would say the current day analogy is creating a separate Facebook profile in <laughs> order to try to convince your husband to cheat on you oh. and catch it and be like fit me, it's been me the whole time. <laughs>
1: During the summer of nineteen thirty-one, Mary Ann started finding scraps of paper lying around the house inscribed with her name. Who's fucking in on this? It's calling me out. I I live my life.
0: I live my life. I do what I want. I live my dreams. I
1: know you do, Marianne. Figuring this was the spirit trying to communicate, Marianne wrote, What do you want? under one of the messages and left it in an envelope in one of the rectory rooms. And when Marianne checked the letter later, she saw only one word written in response to the question regarding the spirit's intentions. As far as what the spirit wanted, it only said...
0: Rest. I tell you, when I feel the same way, I do the sound. I'll help you out. Here's a Klana pen and have three peanut grigios, and you'll get some rest, my friend. <laughs> oh my God, that's a great recipe for rest.
1: After that, the supposed messages began appearing on walls throughout the house. It started with just Marianne's name again, but the messages soon became more complex. The second message, located between the bathroom and the servant stairs, said, Marianne, please help get. You don't
0: tell me what I fucking need to get, okay? You don't tell me how to raise my daughter. Where is my daughter? I haven't seen her in, like, a year. (laughs) I don't know, Marianne.
1: The third message, however, was the most complex of all. And this message is the source of one of the most famous legends about Borley Rectory. Again, it started with the name Marianne, followed by what seemed to be only scribbles. But upon further inspection, it seemed to say, At get help, intent bottom me. Now, some think that the word intent was supposed to be repentant. Okay. Others think the message actually said, Marianne, get help. Well, tank, bottom, me.
3: What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean?
1: Now, the foisters didn't know what the scrabbles meant. So Marianne... <laughs> <laughs> so Marianne wrote a reply saying... I, I cannot understand. Tell me more. In response, they got the words, light in followed by scribbles then write prayer and o Followed by more scribbles.
0: What am I supposed to do? It's like talking to my best friend, Mary Ann. I have a new best friend because my last best friend, fucking bitch Susan, Susan. And she told me. She tried to get me to buy a new sewing machine for $5,000. I said, I can't afford this fucking bullshit. So just... Mary my new best friend, what she told me was that I don't need this fucking help. And I do. me. I, I need to draw boundaries.
3: <laughs> yeah, Susan's very nice. She's selling those sewing machines. You could help her out. Maybe buy one.
1: But another interpretation of that third message claims that they quite possibly say, Light Mass and prayers, deceived by whom? What? Who? And on and on it went, with more messages like, Mary Ann, light Mass prayers, and get light Mass and prayers here. Good? I, I don't
3: <laughs> this is weird. It all
0: just sounds like messages I used to receive in the the other file, the other folder that in the old Facebook messages shit from like guys from Nigeria. Like. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> now at first, some people, especially Harry Price, took these messages as evidence that the spirit was Marie Leaire. the betrayed French nun from our first episode, and she was trying to communicate using broken English from the French dictionary her spirit had stolen decades earlier. So she got a ghost... English-to-French dictionary or French-to-English dictionary? A real French-to-English dictionary. Remember from the first episode, uh, there was one man who said Mm -hmm. that he had an intelligent haunting experience while the bulls still lived there. Remember, he said his French dictionary disappeared and then apported back into the locked room. And so they're starting to put all these pieces together. Even though she
0: could have just asked
1: Napoleon
0: in heaven. (laughs) I don't know. If all of this is real, couldn't she just ask one of the old people? No, she's stuck at Borley. And Napoleon
3: Ah. isn't in heaven
0: yeah (laughs) oh he invented hats though that was good for
1: society yeah well, they started putting all these stories together. They started putting the story of Marie together with the messages of Marianne Light Mass Prayers and get Light Mass and Prayers here. Because remember, the nun was supposedly strangled and thrown into the well where Barley Rectory was built. And they think that quite possibly these messages were the ghost finally trying to get the body of Christian burial.
3: Oh, my God.
0: But this is Harry Price trying to create a followable, st- a followable story. Yeah. Of this whole thing So Price is trying to now He's doing his ghost fucking Charles Dickens works Trying to like patch all of this bullshit together And then, you know, we'll see how it plays out
1: Yeah All right This does make for a fantastic story But none of it is legitimate Okay Ah. Good thing we just talked about it for an hour (laughs) 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 The messages at
3: least None of the
1: messages were legitimate After doing a simple handwriting analysis, it was found that all the messages, including the responses, were all written by the same person, Marianne Foister.
0: It's because you didn't believe in me. You didn't believe that I could both be a woman sitting on a barrel of wine and that I could also be the ghost,
3: Marianne. I think you need to buy that sewing machine from Susan, and you need to you need to get a friendship back. All right.
0: Knew that Susan was my soulmate because my new best Mary friend, my new best friend Marianne, she told me to not be a, come to the sewing circle anymore because I talk too loud during bread time.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, to Harry Price's credit, he fully accepted these findings, even though it totally torpedoed his central thesis about the source of the haunting. Although he did. Also suggest that maybe Marianne was controlled by a second personality. Maybe a little light possession. Could be. Mm, could be. I like better than a little
0: light possession. Absolutely. <laughs> I think Marianne, Um, she might have a couple of
1: personalities going on. She up could. There. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if- most likely, like Marianne Williamson was either looking for attention, or she was really going through a serious psychotic break. She might have been... Is uh, her name Marianne Williamson? Oh, did I say Marianne Williamson? <laughs> yes,
2: because I do think we need to keep that in, because that is
1: amazing. Man, when I was writing this script, <laughs> I wrote Marianne Williamson like six times, and I had to I like keep her. going back, and I thought that I had got every instance of me writing Marianne Williamson, but no, I didn't. I wrote Marianne... The very last time, I fucking wrote Marianne Williamson. And she's going to come back. She's going to save the world with love. I love her. <laughs> I love her. I'm a big fan. Uh, but that's the thing, that wall messages only ever appeared when Marianne was in the house. Mm. Nobody ever saw wall messages when the Bulls or the Smiths lived there, and nobody ever saw them after the Foisters left. For Marianne's part, she never admitted to writing the messages, saying instead that they were probably a prank played by young boys coming into the rectory to use the bathroom after church.
0: Oh God. <laughs> That's a great Everything- prank. Everything's covered in piss. You know,
1: there's a a lot of blaming of young boys in this story. There's a lot of people that say the bell's ringing. is probably young boys. But it's like
0: a pack of young boys, like the Foot Clan just running (laughs)
1: around. I could see that, though. There wasn't much
3: to do. There was no Nintendo Switch or anything. You gotta go
1: play pranks. And the thing was, sometimes people would visit the rectory while the foisters were there and not experience a goddamn thing. One reverend named Lawton said he house sat for the foisters for a month and experienced Absolutely nothing. Hmm. I guess I'll just go home. Aww. <laughs> but either way, the Foisters finally left Borley Rectory in 1935, and they were the last people to ever call it home. Two years later, Harry Price, who wanted to give Borley one last go, leased the property for a year and turned it into a full-on paranormal laboratory. Dude. This is the funnest idea. Oh, yeah. I love
0: yeah. what he did here. He just, he was like, fuck it. Because he was going to maybe turn it into a hotel. So he was with a guy that was basically saying, it's like, what oh, we'll do, we're going to do it great. He made a bigger flip <laughs> plan, man who's literally just like, Putting like fake closets that open up and a guy in a sheet will come out and go, ah, I, I will show you to your room. He, he wanted to make it a paranormal experience hotel. And Harry oh, Price, to his credit, was like, let's hold on um, before we make it, because that's Beetlejuice as well. Yeah. That's the whole it's the so second so storyline <laughs> with the real estate developer. The whole second storyline is about making it a ghost fucking theme park. Yeah. And it's like, Let's hold, let me see if I can get a little bit more proof out of this. So he created a way, in order to do this, he wanted to create a a way to get a genuine read without any quote-unquote bias on the Borley rectory, so he crowdsourced it.
1: Yeah, he put in a bunch of advertisements in the newspaper and just hired regular folks like a bunch of 1940s Winston Zetimors. Like, they're just regular guys coming in for a paycheck. They put
0: it, it's so cool. They had, like, a little, like, classified listing that was, like, haunted house researchers want it. Oh, do you dare look across the spectrum? Do you dare see into the veil of the other side? And yes. people show me like, I do. <laughs> and so he here then he's like, I could tell there are certain rubes that said, oh, I want to come because I can really get off on that. Or, oh, that'd be a gas of a time. <laughs> and I knew then if you said the word gas of a time, you will not be having a gas of a time in my haunted rectory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so Price brought them all to the rectory. <laughs> But since they were all amateurs, he gave them a printed manual of instructions on how to conduct themselves during the study of the haunting. And that manual was called The Alleged Haunting at Borley Rectory: Instructions for Observers. Yeah. Cool. Now skeptics and even some in the believer community say that Harry Price fucked up from the very beginning by first not using experienced parapsychologists and second by giving them a handbook. That's because when Harry gave him the handbook, he was essentially training them to experience specific phenomena. And since the human imagination is highly active and suggestive, these people's perceptions just couldn't be trusted. I know. Uh,
0: <laughs> I know.
3: It's just fun to, be, to have done it. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun.
1: But nevertheless, this was still the first time that a book of instructions for psychical researchers had ever been printed. The first section of the book outlined procedures, such as who to contact if the phenomena was especially strong, or when they could go to the bathroom.
0: Yep. <laughs> okay. It's
1: when your cock is full, your cock <laughs> is a rumbling.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So going on past experience, Price's book focused on two locations, the blue room and the nun's walk. Every day, each observer had to spend at least part of the day and part of the night in the blue room in complete darkness and report their findings afterward. That's fun. It is fun. Could they get hammered? No, they couldn't get hammered. Well, you ah. had they
0: did, he did give everybody a, a flask of brandy. Okay. So for, uh, that is to help
1: awareness. Okay. Yes. If you were to just chug the brandy, then you probably would get fired. If you got hammered, you'd get fired.
3: I'm not hammered.
1: <laughs> I'm, I can drive. I could drive home right now. Sir, there are
0: <laughs> bubbles coming out of your mouth. No, I'm not hammered.
1: As far as the nun's walk went, the observers were required to observe the area for a half hour before and after dusk from the summer house in the same spot where Henry Bull had watched the ghost decades previous. Mm. The second part of the blue book, and this is the part critics had trouble with, is a complete list of all the phenomena that have been reported at Borley, including the footsteps, the bell ringing, and the various apparitions. And along with the descriptions of the apparitions were instructions on what the observer should do if they should happen to see an apparition. The instructions read, If figure speaks, do not approach, but ascertain name, age,
0: sex, origin, calls a visit... If in trouble and possibly alleviation, inquire if it is a spirit. Ask figure to return, suggesting exact time and place. <laughs> Do not move until figure disappears. Note exact method of vanishing. If through an open door, quietly follow. If through solid object, such as wall, ascertain if still visible on other side.
1: Okay. But Eric Price, slightly to his credit, did try his hardest to anticipate the imaginations of the observers. The pamphlet closed with this message. Although some or all of the above phenomena may be observed, it is very important
0: that the greatest effort should be made to ascertain whether such manifestations are due to normal causes, such as rats, small boys, the villagers, the wind, wood shrinking in the death watch beetle, farm animals nosing the doors, etc., trees brushing against the windows, birds in the chimney stack, or between double walls, etc.,
3: so, like, did people just have kids
1: and then they'd be like, where are our little boys? Like, why little boys? You're yeah, like, dude, I, I remember when I was a kid, like, I was just kind of let go into the town for what? about eight hours a day every day in the summertime. It's like they asked them to leave the house. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, over the next year, about 70 people all spent time at Borley Rectory, mostly on weekends because everyone had day jobs. Of course. And the phenomena continued just as strongly as it always had. They held multiple seances, and using a Ouija board, the observers claimed to have gotten into contact with Harry Bull, who told the sitters that the bodies of a nun and a monk named Fadanoc, or possibly Father Enoch, were buried in the garden. Hmm. Then, during one of the Ouija sessions, two sitters received a message from an entity calling itself Sunex Amuris. And Sunex told them that the rectory were burned down at nine o'clock that night. Whoa. And that proof of the haunting in the form of bones would be found under the ruins.
2: Got the bones! <laughs> the bones!
1: <laughs> Love it. Now, nothing happened that night. Ah. And soon after, Price's lease ran out and the rectory was bought by a one Captain William Hot Gregson. And while Gregson was rearranging his library one night, he knocked over an oil lamp and burn the whole goddamn place down that sucks that is a mistake yeah buddy (laughs) and while the fire was at its strongest many of the locals who came out to watch the old haunted house burn said they saw a figure of a girl wearing a blue dress and a man in a bowler hat wandering around in the flames.
0: Do we uh, want to go save those people? No, they're ghosts. <laughs> they're ghosts. I, I hear them uh, screaming and stuff. <laughs> no, they're ghosts. They're <laughs> ghosts that are on fire.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Then, in 1940, about two years after the fire, Harry Price released The Most Haunted House in England, his first book on Borley Rectory. One of the book's most avid readers was the canon of Carlisle, Dr. W.J. Fithian Adams. <sighs>
0: Very fancy
3: Honestly, he's not a doctor That's just his name
1: (laughs) And Adams believed that everything in the story Suggested that there were human remains Under the cellar floor So Harry Price returned to the ruins of Borley Rectory For one last go And began his excavation of the cellar in 1943 While World War II was still raging Just across the English Channel And on the first afternoon, the dig produced the left jawbone and the left side of the skull of a human female. (gasps) To Price, this seemed to confirm everything he'd suspected about the haunting of Borley concerning who the intelligence was. I could just see him doing his touchdown dance. (laughs) Yes! Yes! Fucking crushing it! Yes! Here was the skull of Marie Lair! Here were the remains of the young woman in the cellar of Borley Rectory where the remains of the jilted nun were supposed to be. And now the first ever Super Bowl shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) That is cool. And what was more, it was found that the woman was suffering from an abscess at the time of her death, which jibed with certain reports of a pained look on the phantom nun's face. (gasps) Hmm. Interesting. And while the discovery is indeed compelling there's no evidence to support the claim that this was even Marie Lair, much less that these bones were the source of more than 100 years of haunting.
0: We have no idea if Marie Leaire is even a goddamn thing. Yeah. I don't if like the way you, even guys existed.
3: you guys are... You guys are really toying with me here. <laughs> because it's always like, ooh, and then you're always like, I don't know. Like, so what's the truth here? This
0: is the frustrating world. But the if, if, if there was truth here, this would be taught in schools. We are doing our best. No, they're, they're busy
3: teaching Adam and Eve in schools. <laughs>
0: but this, this Not is, Adam and Steve, I might add. I might add. Because <laughs> that would be gay and that would never be. So bad if Adam warm. and Steve were just keeping Naked. each other warm and oh, <laughs> in, the, in the jungle all scared of the snake noises and all the bear noises. And they just think, oh, maybe we'll just kiss each other. Just kind of see what it would be like just to see if, if two buddies can find a new level of friendship. You know? uh,
3: Father Zabrowski, you've blacked out. It's uh, seven hours later. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
1: Well, there are some who claim that Harry Price planted those bones there himself in order to give his second book about Borley Rectory a stronger narrative. They say that Harry Price either snuck in days before and planted the bones there himself, or he did a switcheroo on the actual bones which are said to come from the body of a pig. <laughs> had the body of a pig, body of a pig,
2: body of so a pig. Fat.
1: <laughs> but there are problems with these accusations concerning the planting of the bones. The bones were found under a bricked floor, and Harry Price was already in terrible health, and only about two years away from a fatal heart attack. Damn. He did have a weak heart, very weak. There was no way that Harry could have excavated the cellar himself, and even if he had enlisted an accomplice, the bill for keeping a possible extortionist quiet was far beyond Harry Price's means.
0: Okay, now he I'm back in believing. He doesn't have a lot of bribe money. No, no really? Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of people were already coming for him. So there was a lot of it was. It's very strange because he was already he was vaguely popular, but also while positively popular he was also negatively popular because all of this it made a lot of publicity good and bad
1: yeah right and concerning the switcheroo while price was an expert conjurer especially when it came to sleight of hand both the condition of the bones and what type of bones were there would have been impossible to foresee See, Price's actual shovel boy was a local farm worker named Mr. Jackson. And when Jackson pulled the jawbone out from the muddy clay, he was completely convinced that it came from the body of a pig. <laughs> but, there are, but there are two huge problems with this. First, Harry Price had no idea what sort of soil laid underneath poorly rectory, and the bones sent out for analysis were covered in the same muddy clay that the rectory stood upon. Furthermore, people who lean on Mr. Jackson's spot analysis must also concede that he found a jawbone, whether it was pig or not meaning that either Harry Price was fantastically lucky with what sort of bone he chose to bring, or he just had pockets full of bones at the ready, depending on what sort of pig bone came out of the earth, now if it... there were any bones there at all.
3: Now he just wished the whole thing was haunted by pigs. <laughs> I mean, that would be cute. It would be cute. Oh, er- Herbert when...
1: the
0: pig is back. But no, Marcus would love to walk everywhere with a pocket full of bones. Oh, yeah. And I, I could if I chose
1: up. to do so. It's not illegal. You, I, that's, I, I don't, don't know. My favorite, yeah, that's, my favorite defense is that it's not legal. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. Well, human bones, possibly, depending. <laughs> Very
3: possibly. Depending on where they
1: came from and, you know, the manner of their acquisition. Uh, acquisition. Uh, w- would not say harvesting, but, you know, it could be. Don't say harvesting. <laughs> I don't know. But the thing is about Price is that he hadn't done himself any favors in the past. In 1929, a reporter named Charles Sutton came out to do a follow up story on the rectory. And while he and Price were walking the house, Sutton felt himself being pelted by rocks. And suspecting a trick, Sutton grabbed Price and frisked him. Let me see your damn pockets. Yep. Oh, yes.
0: Unhand me, good sir. Unhand me. I'm trying to have a, a succulent Chinese meal. <laughs>
1: Price's pockets are full of rocks, oh. like full of little pebbles and <laughs> That's pieces keep of brick. <laughs> oh, and this did happen, and Price probably did regret it, but we don't really know Price's motivation. I mean, after all, one reporter had already seen what Borley could do. Most likely, Price did it because it just made for a better story. And that, in essence, was Price's fatal flaw. It was always Price's fatal flaw. Although he could have been perfectly happy again and again with what he had, he always needed to attach a spooky narrative to his studies. And those embellishments always tainted the story oh
0: you just gotta use this guy okay if somebody's got a nose for news somebody knows how to package stories the spr really could have used harry price and his skills but because they couldn't keep their flim flam man on a leash he went rogue he did a bunch of dumb shit and then it makes them look bad because of their association with them which then makes them subsequently as soon as they can fucking throw him under the bus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because his criticism came out in full force following Harry Price's sudden death from a heart attack in 1948. Once Harry was dead and gone, his so-called friends in the psychical research community wrote and released what came to be known as the Borley Report. <laughs> it's very, It's very similar to, like, the Warren Commission,
0: <laughs> where it, it, they started looking into it being like, and it's just, they just debunk it. Piece by piece by piece. And it just gets to a point where they just
1: didn't like Harry Price anymore. Uh, yeah, they just didn't like him. In this report, Molly Goldney, Trevor Hall, and Eric Dirty Ding Ding Wall accused the recently dead Price of every kind of fraud and willful deception, all for the purpose of selling his two books on Borley Rectory. But the problem with this report is that while it's full of unreliable witnesses and phrases like may have been, appears to have been, and it is not unreasonable to postulate it's also quite short on facts. Hmm. I mean, yes, it is a fact that Price threw rocks at a reporter's head pretending to be a poltergeist.
0: That was one time. That was, <laughs> that's just one time. <laughs> that's
1: one time. And who, who doesn't want to throw rocks at a reporter? Yeah, they all deserve it right now. Sometimes. And yes, Marianne Foister was making up communications with the spirit world.
0: Sure. That's, Will- that's Miriam, That's Miriam Williamson. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's her, though. Yeah. Did Mabel Smith recant everything? Yes.
0: Sure. Eh, she's a. she's a, a... She's drunk. She's a soggy <laughs> She's a drunk.
1: She's but really, that's all they had for sure. And concerning Mrs. Smith, it was later discovered the reason why she recanted was because she believed that her dead husband and Harry Price had met in the afterlife, and they had both asked her to help put Borley Rectory to rest. There
0: you go. So they jumped to the
1: second cousin
0: level of stupidity. There you <laughs> go. They went past the one level Shitter of Shitter was saying, full. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they went straight to like just a deeper life. Okay. <laughs>
1: it seems to me that the Borley report is mostly the dandy fops of the paranormal world pushing back on the working-class hero only when he was no longer alive to defend himself like a bunch of fucking cowards. This is class
3: warfare. Hey, buddy, let's, (laughs) let's do it.
1: And while some criticism is definitely merited, the fops did a full takedown on a man who had once called them friend. One defender of Price said that the report was, quote... Inspired by envy,
0: hatred, and malice, and it seethes with spleen like a superating
1: ulcer. Ooh. Now make no mistake, something has been happening on the grounds of Borley Rectory. After the rectory burned down, the activity just moved across the road to the church. And there in the church, the organ pipes are known to play when no one is present.
0: Um, these organ pipes aren't playing. There's a bunch of squirrels in there farting. Whoa! <laughs> that and is...
1: People hear noises in there all the time. Like, it is the activity in the Borley Church is still active. People go and investigate it, it. it to this day. People are seeing the nun is still around. Yeah, I mean, intense apparitions were still appearing as late as the 70s and 80s. The last big sighting of the nun that happened in the 70s, uh, that involved an entire group of investigators observing the phantom nun for 12 minutes straight from multiple angles.
0: That's
3: a lot of nun. But
0: I do feel like this is sort of the nuns. It, that one was kind of like the nuns farewell tour. Like yeah. It was yeah. definitely the the third Aerosmith were retiring tour where she <laughs> yeah. came out one last time and oh. had four encores and then left. Because yeah. she hasn't really been seen since.
1: Yeah, That's she drifted awesome. Because they said they saw her drift about a foot above the ground and then pass through a fence and
3: vanish. Maybe she's done. She's she's
1: retired. And people are still trying to see the nun to this day. Cool. Every year, people still camp out near the ruins of Borley Rectory on July 28th, which is the anniversary of the day that all four Bull Sisters saw the Phantom Nun just before they all witnessed the ghost vanish into thin air.
3: Yes. Very cool. Borley Rectory rector rector dang near dang near bought her a
0: house (laughs) Uh, this is wonderful oh yeah this is wonderful i love this story it's good to put yourself in the head because i know because like as i'm reading the most haunted house in england it's so fun to kind of put yourself in the scenario of imagining doing all the cyclical research like having all the lunches it's so much fun man really fun i want to go on a ghost hunt so bad.
3: Uh, well we we definitely need to do that in the future. I want to do it so big.
0: I want to see some ghosts. It makes me feel all spooky in my underpants.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are excited to see real people this weekend as well because we are going to be in beautiful Florida. We are in beautiful Florida. We are in Tampa, uh, obviously, this evening. And then tomorrow, that will be a Saturday, we will be in Miami. So if you are in Miami, come on out. Check out the show. We have no idea when we'll be back to Miami. So we are excited to see you all there. And then after Miami... We will be in beautiful, sunny Orlando. So we are excited to see everyone. Mm-hmm. Well
0: no, I'm really excited for Orlando. I actually set up a meeting for us with this guy. He's part of a talent agency. And, yeah? I, and I said that we can sing and we can dance. But the thing that we have to do is, I mean, we have to show up. He said in swimwear. Swimwear. Okay. First. Okay. Yeah. 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 But the big I brought my swimsuit. Great. great. I didn't great. bring great. any great. swimsuit. Perfect. <laughs>
3: okay.
0: Because I don't think the swimsuits are going to last long, but it's a huge... Opportunity, uh-huh. to form a band <laughs> where we could start taking it out on the road. Because Kissel, you're the bad boy.
3: I'm the bad boy. Yeah,
0: Marcus is the shy one. Yeah, and me? the cute one at the same time. Yeah, shy and cute, <laughs> and me. <laughs> I'm I'm the, the round one. I'm the Polish one. Yeah, I'm you can, Polish. You
3: do all the singing. Yeah. yeah you do all the singing and yeah. the dancing.
0: I'm talking about getting molested by a talamander in Orlando.
2: Oh,
3: okay. The ghost of Lou Pearl. Uh, yeah. I see. Yes. Um, yes. We are excited to see everyone. Do we have any other
0: things to announce here? I mean, we got a whole bunch of shows coming up throughout this year. Y'all, we coming down to New Orleans. Coming to New Orleans, finally. We coming yep. down. We're going to be filming our live special in New Orleans. Whoa, I can't wait to try all the spice. Can't wait to have all that Creole Creole
3: sauce. Absolutely. So that is where we can do our ghost tour. Yes. in New Orleans,
1: we cannot wait. That's on December 13th, correct? I believe so. yes. Well, you can double check last podcast on the left.com uh, for tickets to that we're gonna be actually be doing two shows uh, in one night. Uh, on a Friday night there in New Orleans to uh, yes. film our uh, special for this year, so please come on out and witness the magic of live performance.
3: <laughs> That's right, Marcus. You sold it so well. And then this show will be dead, just like all the ghosts in uh, in Borley Rectory. Yeah,
0: Borley Rectory. Borley got, Rectory, And we have more Halloween goodness come for you real, real soon. Next week's a story that I'm very excited
1: to tell. It's going to be really fun. And this is another uh, recommendation by uh, Neil out in the UK. This is a story that we did not know existed, but but uh, is a—it's another English story that happened Ooh. out at a Highgate Cemetery. Uh, it is drama on a level that I did not know existed. So
3: awesome! <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you're doing very well. Hail yourselves! Hail Tata. Hail me! Hail
0: me. The first language. rise. Oh rise? No, no! It's too big. <laughs>
1: This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs who are looking to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for a creative way to increase revenue and give your family and friends the holiday treats they deserve, then you need to get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. If I needed to give a class on... Digging holes? I'd do it. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand. Upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills. And tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or you can sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income. With Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com left.